morning journey. I'm so excited to be with you here today. My name is Mike Evans. I serve on the staff here as the discipleship pastor, which you want to talk about a dream job. It is my job to work with an incredible group of leaders to help every single person in journey take their next spiritual step. Is that cool or what? I know sometimes I pinch myself at what I get to do, but today is a great day. Um, did you guys walk outside this morning and kind of feel a little cool in the air? Wasn't that nice? It's not going to stay, okay, just so you know. But the first official Sunday of summer is upon us. Uh, today is my son Zach's 22nd birthday, so we're excited about that. I know you're thinking I don't look old enough to have a 22-year-old. I actually have a 27 and an almost 24-year-old too, so... So, yeah, I don't know. So there's that. So anyway, but um, I'm excited today uh, to get to preach um, from God's word in my heart a message that I think will hopefully help you um, in your journey with Jesus. So if I want to invite you guys to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. If you don't have an actual Bible with you, you can... um, Go to, go to our app and open it there. If you don't have an app, then the app and the words are going to be up on the screen for you as we move along. So we'll take care of you no matter what way it is. Um, it is. But over the past few weeks, um, we have been in the middle of a series where we've been looking at a number of uh, what we call kingdom profiles of kingdom citizens so we can learn from their faith, learn from their example, and just learn what it means to follow Jesus in a closer way. And, and a, a few weeks ago, Pastor Christian kicked our series off by talking about the first kingdom profile, and that was John the Baptist. You remember that um, a kingdom citizen from that message lives with courage and conviction that comes from a spiritual calling to help people see Jesus clearly so they can receive him or reject him. We learned a lot about what it means to be a person of courage from John the Baptist. And then a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Christian walked us through an interaction Jesus had with his disciples. And we learned that a kingdom citizen lives with a compassion that moves us to generosity. See, compassion moves us to do something about what it is we're feeling. And, and, uh, and that's in a way that builds our faith and impacts those we serve in the mission of God. We've got to do something about what God has done for us. And then last week, and if you didn't hear last week's message, I want to encourage you to go back and, and watch it or listen to it. Um, Pastor Christian did an amazing job there, but he, uh, we talked about the story of Jesus when he came walking on the water towards the boat, and then Peter jumped out into the water. We learned from that story that a kingdom citizen lives by faith, not by sight, because they keep their spiritual eyes fixed on Jesus and his call to get out of the boat, to not let, the, um, not let what's in the boat tether us to it and anchor us, but to get out there and fix our eyes on Jesus. It was an amazing message. Well, today um, we get to talk about the Pharisees. It's going to be hopefully super helpful to you. But before we dig into God's word, we want to do like we always do here at Journey. And let's just take a moment to kind of let our minds get where our bodies are, to pray and to ask God for his, uh, for his wisdom and his insight and uh, for his application. So will you join me in a brief word of prayer? Father, we pause and we thank you, Lord, for just the work you've already been doing in our lives um, this morning through the community here, through the worship. God, I pray now that as we open your word together, that you would teach us what it means um, to walk more closely with you. God, I thank you for this, um, for your word, and I thank you for this opportunity to unpack it and to open it up with, with, um, with these incredible people. 
Lord, may I rightly divide the word of truth and may you use this word of truth to change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. You're going to see here that the first nine verses in this chapter are an interaction Jesus has with the Pharisees and some teachers of the law. Um, And then the last uh, 11 verses, verses 10 through 20, are an interaction Jesus has with the crowds and his disciples. And so we're going to learn a lot, hopefully, from this passage. But starting in verse 1, the scripture says this. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked... Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Almost sounds like they're tattling, doesn't it? Jesus replied with a question, because that's what Jesus likes to do. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that What might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God. They are not to honor their father and mother or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Then Jesus called the crowd to him. And he said this, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to Jesus, came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? More tattling, there it is. He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So I share, I have the uh, opportunity and privilege to share an office here at Journey with Christian Gracia, our church planting resident. We have a great time hanging out and talking um, a lot. We get our work done, but we have a great time talking. And somehow over the course of the last many months, this picture has kind of migrated, has found its way into our office. It sits right by Christian's desk and it stares at me every day. And it looks like this. Okay, we have... We have uh, named this picture Handsome Jesus, okay? And my question for you as we get rolling here in this message is, is when you think of Jesus, what picture is kind of conjured up in your mind, in your heart? Like maybe it's, maybe it's handsome Jesus here with his long flowing hair and his perfectly trimmed beard and his piercing blue eyes. Maybe that's the picture. Maybe your picture of Jesus is a, of gentle Jesus. You think about, um, you think about him as... Um, with a lot of little children around him as he teaches them about the kingdom of God. You think about Jesus, you know, with lambs and, and precious animals around him, just, just kind of loving on, on people and on creation. And, and, and that's, a, that's not a bad picture to have of Jesus. Or maybe 
when you think about Jesus, you think about compassionate Jesus. Images of him feeding the 5,000 when they're hungry come, come to mind. Images of him, him healing people who are sick or, or hurting and, and having incredible conversations with people. You think about compassionate Jesus. Or maybe your picture is of humble Jesus. You know, your picture is like you think about Jesus the night he was betrayed when he took that, um, took that towel and that basin and he, and he washed the feet of his disciples. And just you think about how Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve other people and to give his life as a ransom for many. Maybe that's your picture of Jesus. And no matter what, if, you, if your picture is one of those or maybe some other, that's, none of those are uh, bad pictures to have because it's true. Jesus was gentle. It's true. Jesus was unbelievably compassionate. And of course, Jesus was the most humble man who ever walked the face of the earth. And those are accurate pictures of Jesus. But they aren't necessarily complete pictures of Jesus. And as we walk through this text here this morning, we're going to see Jesus get confrontational. We're going to see Jesus push back on some people and kind of go after them for the way they're living their lives and the way they're representing God to other people. We're going to see Jesus get confrontational. And chapter 15 gives a real sense here of what Jesus does and how Jesus reacts when confronted with legalism. We'll unpack what that means, with hypocrisy and with religious people who make it hard for others to access the truth about who, about who God really is. Religious people who put barriers up to keep people from knowing who the one true God is. And those people in this story are mainly the Pharisees. And so let's get to know the Pharisees a little bit as we get rolling here. The Pharisees and the scribes are the teachers of the law that we read about here. Um, they are the strictest law keepers among the Jews. They were the rule followers. In fact, the word Pharisee comes from the Hebrew word parash, which literally means to separate. They felt like they were different than all the other Jews. And there were two groups of Jews, really. There's the first group of Jews that we, uh, that we uh, Jewish uh, people in, these, in this kind of family were who we called the Zadokim. They were the Sadducees. They were kind of the theological liberals of the day. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in spiritual things of that nature. And they just kind of wanted to keep the status quo, keep the Roman people, the Roman people who led them kind of uh, pleased and happy, and they were just kind of the go-with-the-flow religious leaders. But then there's another group called the Pharisees, the Zadokim, and they, um, they were not like that. Um, they were people that believed, particularly in the Jewish culture, that they were holier than the other Jews. They were better than them because of their education, because of their wealth, um, because of their pedigree. They went around um, and acted and lived as if they were better than the rest of their Jews. And they, they created an enormous amount of oral traditions that they kind of codified into laws. And they, um, they taught that if you behaved right, if you followed all the laws, then God was pleased with you. And they kind of saw it as their goal to, tr- to defend what they would call true Judaism against all the spiritual watchdogs that were kind of coming against them. And so as, as we kind of unpack who the Pharisee, Pharisees were, as I was learning more about the Pharisees and I was thinking about them in preparation of this message today, I, I thought, I wonder if this is how people view us. Like you think about people who are not followers of Jesus, people who are outside of the church, maybe coworkers, maybe family members you have. If you ask them, what do you think of Christians and what do you think of the church? A lot of them would respond 
bunch of rule followers, kind of judgmental, think they're better than others. Like, like there are a lot of people outside of the church that when they think of the church, when they think of church people, that's the image that comes to their mind. And I want to pause for a second here because I want to, as a pastor, kind of from my heart to yours, I want to say that is so not the heart of our church. That's so not my heart to be known as people who are closed-minded, judgmental, hypocritical, better than all the things that people would think about when they think of Pharisees that many people think about when they think about the church. I want people to think about when they think of us, when they think of you, when they think of me, they think, hey, that's a group of people that really serve our community, that really care about people who are in need and really help them. Like that's a group of people that teaches the Bible and they teach about the gospel of grace. They don't put people in traps and legalistic loopholes to get to Jesus. They, I, want to, I want people to think about when they think of us that, that we're, a, we're a group of shepherds, that we like, we want to shepherd when people are hurting, when people are struggling in pain or grief or distress, that they think, I want to go to the church. I want to come to the people of journey because that's where I'm going to find hope find someone to put their arm around me, to pray with me, to cry with me, to, to just sit with me. Like that's what I want people to think about when they, when they think about us. I want people to think about how we do life and how we do church and just to say something like this. There's just something about the way that group of people loves God and loves people that's just different. But guys, these Pharisees in this story, oh my goodness, do they get in trouble with Jesus? We're going to look here this morning at three practices, at three things that got the Pharisees in trouble with Jesus. And he just, I'm just going to be honest with you, he gets confrontational. He unloads on these guys. And the reason we need to study this this morning is because if we don't stay closely connected to Jesus, but we don't lean into him every day, if we don't say, Jesus, help me to realize that it's not about me, but it's about you. Keep my heart in check. Keep my pride in check. Keep my spirit in check. If we don't lean into Jesus every day, the practices that we're going to unpack today in, the, in our time of study could become pitfalls for us as well. So as we walk through the text, the posture I want us to have, the posture I have is, Lord, God, reveal to my heart if any of this is in me. And if it is, will you help me? Will you help me to grow out of it? So here's the first one. The first pitfall, the first practice that got the Pharisees in trouble is what I call outer legalism. Um, Thinking that rule following and looking right on the outside is what God is really looking for. That's, That's called outer legalism. Now, here, let me show you something real quick. I want to just kind of make this quick observation. Um, this verse one says that the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law traveled from Jerusalem all the way to Capernaum. Um, you see here on this map that Jerusalem is towards the bottom. You see that lake there called the Dead Sea. If you go to the northwest kind of corner of the Dead Sea, you see Jerusalem right, Jerusalem right there. Well, Capernaum, if you follow the Jordan River all the way up to that other lake, the Sea of Galilee, on the top, on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, there you'll see the city of Capernaum. Why is that important, Pastor Mike? I want to help you understand that these Pharisees and teachers of the law traveled over a hundred miles to ask Jesus the question, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Like that seems like a long way to travel to ask a question like that, doesn't it? 
But in one sense, the te- technically the Pharisees were right to ask this question. And here's why. They had codified, they had kind of made into law thousands of oral traditions from Jewish history. It was 63 volumes long. It would fill, an, the Mishnah, it's called the Mishnah, and it would, um, it would fill an entire bookshelf, all these oral traditions and laws. Well, one of the oral traditions that they had, it wasn't found in the Bible, it was found outside of the, outside of the Bible, within their traditions, was about ritual hand washing before a meal. And that's what this passage is um, about when they ask this question. And let me just kind of maybe show you what it meant to ritually wash your hands before a meal. What you would do is this. You would take your hands and you would make them like this. You'd point them. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. You'd start this way. You point them up first, okay? You point them up and then you'd take water or they would take water and you would pour them down your hands kind of onto your wrists and all that kind of stuff. And then you would take your hand, you do it on both hands and you take your hand and you kind of pound it with your fist and you would kind of wrestle it around just like this. You do the same with the other hand, but you weren't done washing your hands yet. Then you would take your hands and you would point them down. You'd take the pitcher and then you'd pour it over your hands again and kind of dry it off. And then you were like ready to eat. Guys, they didn't just do this before dinner. They did it before every course of dinner. These guys were enslaved to an enormous amount of laws just or rituals, law, rituals and laws, just like this one. Laws that governed when you got out of bed, um, how you got out of bed, when you put your clothes on, in what order you put your clothes on, when you washed dishes, how you washed dishes, when you, you name it, there was a codified oral law for us. And the Pharisees had basically enslaved the Jewish people to say, if you are gonna be a good Jew, you have to follow the Bible and you have to follow all of these oral traditions as well. And they had elevated the non-biblical oral traditions over what was in the actual Bible. And this led them to become the ultimate legalists, the ultimate rule followers. And listen, listen to this. If, if, if we are known, like the Pharisees were in those days, if we are known more for our rules and regulations than we are a relationship with God, then we're legalists and we're getting it wrong. A friend of mine told me um, a couple of weeks ago, um, a friend of mine who was on staff here at Journey um, was over at Quick Trip getting a couple of hot dogs and a Diet Coke because that's what he likes to get. And while he was at Quick Trip, um, uh, he saw a guy um, kind of come into the gas station there, come into the convenience store there who looked like he needed some help, needed a hand. And my, guy, my friend engaged this guy in conversation and turns out he did need some help. And so uh, my friend said, hey, why don't you go ahead and hop in my car and, uh, and I'll try to help take care of you. And so as they were driving down 150 Highway towards, um, towards Grandview um, from the quick trip over there at 291 and 150, um, they passed Journey. And my friend said, hey, um, that's the church that I attend and that's the church my family attends. In fact, I actually work at that church. I'd love you to come join me some Sunday at Journey. And, and uh, the guy said, I have seen your church I've been by your church many times. It's a beautiful place, but I don't have clothes that would make me feel welcome there. In fact, I've made so many mistakes. I don't know that I would want to go to your church. I just don't know that I would want to be there. And, and what was he saying when he said this? Of course, my friend said, no, you're, you would be more than welcome. We'd love to have you here. But he had this perception that because of how he looked, because of the mistakes he'd made in his past, that he wouldn't be welcome here at Journey. And I wonder this morning, how many of us 
at some point in our lives have felt the sting of legalism. You felt judged by maybe some mistakes that you made in your past that people look down on you upon or, you, or the way you look or what you have or what you don't have. And, and, and you feel, maybe you're even sitting here right now and you're feeling the sting of legalism. For some people that drives them from the church, for some people just kind of this wound that just kind of festers inside of them. Or maybe you're wondering today, am I a legalist? Like, am I a legalist? Like I thought... Um, and I thought about that as I got ready for this morning. I, and I remembered last week when Pastor Christian um, talked about how he grew up in the, in the, in the 90s and the 2000s when Jeff Foxworthy was a big deal and all his, you, you might be a redneck stuff, um, was out. You remember that? And, and uh, if you're anything like me, I was sitting in my seat during the first service last Sunday and I was thinking of all the funny redneck jokes that he used to say that made me laugh. Like, you know, you might be a redneck if you finance your tattoo habit or you might be a redneck if you tip your pool um, so that your outdoor pool can have a deep end or you might be a redneck if you make change from the offering plate. You know, all the fun redneck jokes that Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy did and I just kind of was chuckling. My wife elbowed me and said, stop laughing. And I'm like, oh, if you were in my head right now, you'd be laughing too. <laughs> but then I thought, you know, as I thought, well, how do we know if we're a legalist? I came up with a little list and I want to share this with you and just, you might be a legalist if, how would you know if? You might be a legalist if you find it impossible to love or even to be around people who disagree with you. You know, we've had, there was a um, decision made this week and uh, Roe versus Wade was overturned, which in my heart, I rejoice over that. I think about the unborn children that will have an opportunity to live life because of that. But there are a lot of people that are very angry about that. Can you love people who disagree with you? If you can't, then maybe you're a legalist. You might be a legalist if you avoid people who have a different worldview from you and you just, all you surround yourself with is people who are just like you. You might be a legalist. You might be a legalist if you value rightness over kindness. And so, of course, it's important to be right, but it's also important to be kind and gentle in the way we interact with people. And if you value being right more than being kind, you might be a legalist. You might be a legalist if, if you have a uh, spiritual us versus them mentality. When you think about the fact that um, people who follow Jesus are good and people who don't follow Jesus are bad and you have an us versus them mentality, look, we are all sinners in need of a savior, amen? And an us versus mentality is just gross. It's just gross. You might be a legalist if you get frustrated with people who aren't as into Jesus as you are and you see them, and they're not as passionate about their pursuit of holiness as you are, and you get frustrated with them, and you get upset and angry with them. If that's you, if you don't want to help them, but you just want to kind of judge them, you might be a legalist. You might be a legalist if this list has made you very uncomfortable. (laughs) And you're thinking, I'm going to come up to the front, and I'm going to share Bible verses why Pastor Mike is wrong. You might be a legalist if that's you. Um, Theologian and author, one of my favorites, N.T. Wright, said this about this passage of scripture. He said, there wasn't anything wrong with the purity laws themselves, nothing wrong with the ritual hand cleansing, though some of the developed traditions about them may have been fairly pointless. And if you've read any of the Mishnah, you know, there are some crazy stuff in there. But to stick just with the outward laws and ignore the call to be pure through and through, to ignore the heart, was to miss the point entirely. And the Pharisees' criticism of Jesus in this story had to do 
with ritual uncleanness, while Jesus' criticism of them had to do with moral uncleanness. And the problem the Pharisees had was this outer legalism. It was unattractive and it was gross to Jesus because they forgot the heart for the sake of the rules. May we not be a people who forget the heart for the sake of the rules. Well, how did Jesus confront their legalism? And then we'll move into the second point. Verses three through seven, he responds to this ritual hand-washing by by asking them a question. That's an interesting thing about Jesus is he's so often in the gospels when people ask him questions, he asks them a question. What do you think about that? Well, what do you think about that? As a parent, that's a great skill to have. So I love doing that to my kids. But anyway, here it says, Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And here's what he means. He says, for God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. Okay, those are both found in the book of Exodus. Those are commands that they would have all been familiar with. And he said, but you say, and he brings out an oral tradition called Corban, that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, that's that word Corban, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word for the God, of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. The second thing that got the Pharisees in trouble was their pious hypocrisy. Let me help you understand what this, is, this Corbin thing is about. Um, the Pharisees had created this oral tradition that basically um, for kids um, who had parents who were still living, um, the, the idea in the culture, just like it was in cultures across the world, um, was that... You know, as people aged, it was the kids' responsibility to help take care of the parents. Well, they created this oral tradition called Corbin where you didn't have to devote your land or your resources or your money to help your parents, but you could devote it to the temple, to God, and kind of get, that was a way to get out of taking care of your parents. Well, Jesus is like, hey, commandment five says, honor your father and mother, and you guys have completely blown it with this oral tradition. Even if you kind of spiritualize and say, well, I'll just give the money to the church. And Jesus just goes after them and he says, listen, take care of your parents. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's the first time in, the, in Matthew's gospel, but certainly not the last, where he calls these Pharisees and teachers of the law hypocrites. What, do I, what does he mean by hypocrites? Well, it's really simple. Um, it's a term that um, basically meant you're wearing a mask. It was from a, a term back in the original languages where you wear a mask and you kind of couldn't, you didn't, you kind of disclosed who you really were. So your outside did not match your inside. And that's, that's what being a hypocrite meant then. And that's what it means today. And I wonder this morning, how many of you, how many of us have been stung, not just by legalism, but also by hypocrisy? Like how many of you have had someone say to you, You've invited them to church. You've invited them to a Bible study. You've invited them to a small group. You've invited them to an event, a Christian concert, whatever it might be. And they say, well, I'm not going to go to that because all you Christians, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. You say one thing and you do another. How many of you have heard that? How many of you have said that? How many of you have had seasons of your life where that was you? You've been hurt. You've been mistreated by someone in the church, whether a leader or a member, and it just stung you. And you know, hypocrisy is a terrible, terrible thing. And it is, it is a thing that is just so painful. But you know what? Hypocrisy frustrated Jesus to no end to. It didn't just, doesn't just frustrate, didn't just frustrate, doesn't just frustrate us, it frustrated him 
as well. And here's why, because hypocrisy, saying one thing while living another way, it compromises our integrity. It causes, it breaks trust. It breaks relationships. It hurts families. It hurts churches. Ultimately, it hurts nations. I bet maybe many of you here right now are thinking about damage that's been done in your life to churches you've been a part of in the past, to places you're in maybe right now where hypocrisy has been a toxic thing that has hurt you. And if you wanted to be really honest with me, like I'm about to be really honest with you, hypocrisy is something, hypocrisy is something that we fall prey to as well. I remember when my own pious hypocrisy was pointed out to me. I remember one time. It was between my sophomore and my junior year in college. And I had actually, this, the year of the summer before I'd been on a mission trip with Campus Crusade for Christ, was really involved in the ministry there in college. And, and then I, um, I went from a stateside project in between my sophomore year, went on an international project down to Monterey, Mexico. And we were doing great things for God and all kinds of cool stuff. And I kind of walked into that project feeling pretty good about myself spiritually. And I know this probably might, it might surprise a few of you guys, but when I was 19, 20 years old, I was kind of loud and obnoxious. Okay, don't laugh too hard, okay? But it's true. I mean, I've tempered a little bit, but, but I was kind of, so you, you kind of combine a guy who's just naturally pretty loud and gregarious and, intro, and extroverted with a guy who give him a little doubt, dose of spiritual pride because of all the great things he's already done for God in his life. And it can become pretty damaging. And on this project, I didn't realize that my attitude and kind of my ego spiritually was really having an impact on the project. And about halfway through my time there in Mexico, one of the staff guys, his name was Jeff, said, hey, Mike, can we... Uh, can we grab some time together? And I was like, okay, sure. And so we went. Uh, I still remember we walked out of the place we were staying, went down the street and sat out in front of this little cafe at these tables outside. And he was like, as we sat down, like he wasn't talking to me as we were walking to this place. And I was like, man, did I make you mad? What, what's going on? And, and he sat down and he was shaking. And I said, Jeff, what's wrong? Why are you shaking? He said, well, I've been fasting for the last 24 hours in preparation of this conversation. And I was like, oh boy, what's happening here? And uh, he said, Mike, I need to share with some things with you. And he began to unpack how my own sarcasm and my own um, attitude and my own kind of cutting tongue um, and just my own, my spirit, how it had, ha- had hurt some people's feelings, particularly some, um, some other guys on the project. And... Uh, as he shared these with me, I began to cry because it was, it was a massive blind spot in my own journey. And um, I repented and I prayed when we prayed together and we kind of got to the end of that conversation. And he said something to me that I will never forget for the rest of my life, Lord willing. He said, Mike, you're a gifted guy. You've got a lot of talent. You've got a lot of abilities that God has blessed you with. There's no question. And God wants to use you. But he's not going to use you if you think it's about you. Journey, you're an unbelievable, unbelievably gifted group of people. I mean, the, the gifts and the talents and the resources and the vision, man. It's unbelievable. And God wants to use us to change the world. But he won't use us if we think it's about us.
it's about Jesus. It's always and forever about Jesus. And I remember that conversation with Jeff. And and when he said that as we left, I just thought, Lord, I know I'm not going to get it all right the rest of my life, but the rest of my life I want to give to you. And I just remember surrendering my life to the mission of God, but God, keep me humble. God, keep me in a place of dependence on you. Keep me in a place that remembers that it's all about you. So you see, um, Jesus got after these Pharisees in the story because they forgot the main thing. He quotes from Isaiah 29 where he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Can you imagine a worse place to be where you're saying all the right things, but in your heart, you know you've got it all wrong? He said, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Hypocrisy is disgusting too, but it's inside of us if we don't lean tight into Jesus, y'all. And then this leads me to kind of the third way the Pharisees got it wrong. And that's this, number three, that their actions led people away from God. Another way to say this is that they were were blinding guides. I love how in verse 12, it says there that the disciples are like, they come to Jesus and like, Jesus, um, I'm not sure you really realize this, but those Pharisees and teachers, they're really mad at you right now. They're ticked at you. And Jesus kind of doubles down and he, and he calls them plants not planted by God, he, that they need to be removed like weeds. He calls them blind guides who would lead others to their destruction. And, and Peter, I love Peter, always love Peter. He's like, uh, Peter, Peter says, uh, Jesus, will you explain this to us? I think it's pretty obvious what Jesus is trying to say, but Peter's like, maybe he didn't really mean it. <laughs> who knows? Jesus says, and Jesus then makes the point here that what is in the heart is what comes out of the mouth. He was telling the Pharisees they have a heart problem. That's really what he was doing. Somehow in the pursuit of their outer ritualism and their passion to follow the rules had led them to become pious hypocrites whose walk did not match their talk And they literally put so many barriers between people and God that they got in the way of people really getting to know who the one true God really was. And here's why this interaction and these warnings are so huge and so important, you guys. It's because of this. The Pharisees in this interaction with Jesus are a massive warning of what could happen to us if we fail to keep the main thing, the main thing. And if we don't tune our hearts into Jesus, reminding ourselves every day that he is God and that we are not, that it's not about us, then we could fall prey to the same kind of things that the, that the Pharisees fell prey to. We can fall prey to these, these descriptions that Jesus shared with us as he kind of wraps up this conversation. He talks about, in the, towards the end of that passage, about evil thoughts that we're all capable of. Remember, these are thoughts, not murdering like someone, like killing them, but that's a whole other deal, um, which we shouldn't do either, but wishing someone was dead. Thoughts of adultery, thoughts of getting involved sexually with someone while you're married, while you're still married, or sexual immorality. Another word for that would be fornication, getting involved sexually with someone while you're not married, those kinds of things. And then he added a few to, to those as well. Theft, taking what's not yours, false testimony, lying, slander, um, gossiping about someone behind their back. Those are just evil thoughts that come out of our mouths if our hearts aren't in the right place. But this is something I love about Jesus, something I love about the gospel, is it'll tell you the bad news. It'll tell you the bad things. 
but it always leaves you in a place of hope. And that's kind of where I want to land as we get ready to close this message here today. You see, because the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't center around burdensome rules. It doesn't. It centers on a burden-bearing grace, on a Jesus who died so that we could live. You see, I want to take the rest of our morning and kind of maybe paint a picture of some truths to embrace that will help you, hopefully, to lean closer into Jesus this week. And the daily reflections that we have from Monday to Friday this week that you find in your bulletin, I just, took the, I just took five things I love about Jesus. And actually, if you notice, MTWTF, there were Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I just, wanted, I just want us to kind of spend the rest of our time here thinking about Jesus. Because you see, Jesus, Jesus is our mediator. He is our go-between between you and your heavenly Father. Jesus is the truth. He would never lie to you. He tells the truth about about who he is, about who we are, and how to live a life that honors God. Jesus is our way maker. He is the way, the truth, and the life towards a relationship with God. Jesus is trustworthy. He is worthy of your trust. He's worthy of mine, and he is the faithful faithful one. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Like we do so often, the Pharisees in this story forgot their why. They got so engaged with the what that they forgot the why. I love how author Simon Sinek puts it. He said in his book, Start With Why, he said, regardless of what we do in our lives, our why, our driving purpose, cause or belief never changes. And journey for us, our why, our why is Jesus, knowing him and making him known. That's why that, that when I walk into this place every day and I see, his, I see it's all about Jesus, I say, amen and amen. God, help me to keep it all about Jesus. Our why is simply this. We exist. You know it. You could say it with me. We exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in this world. Why? Because there are so many people in our world that are far from God. And we have a mission to help the world know who Jesus is through our lives and the words that we say. I'm no more saved now than I will be in 20, 30, 40 years, however many years the the Lord gives me. So the reason I exist as a follower of Jesus, the reason you exist as a follower of Jesus is to know him and to make him known. Amen? That's our mission. We exist to see people far from God become not just average Joe Christians, but passionate Christians. People who realize it's not about us, but it's about reaching people for Jesus. Who make a difference, not just in this church, not just even in Lee Summit and Raymore in this community, but in the whole wide world. Why? Because there are people in the whole wide world that need the hope of Jesus and we get to be a part of God's redemptive plan. The lesson of the Pharisees is simply this. It's kingdom profile number four. And I want to share this with you as I close. Kingdom profile number four of the Pharisees. A kingdom citizen lives from the heart. Lives from the heart. Not trusting in tradition to earn favor with God. But leaning into Jesus, our living hope. Let's be a church of heart. Not of rules, not of regulations. Those are important, but those aren't the heart. Let's be a church that says, Jesus, take me in my brokenness. Take me in my mistakes. Take me in my sin. Help me to lean tight into you so that you can make a difference through me. And all that 
to beg one question for you. Here's the question. How's your heart? Because you see, that's the question Jesus is most interested in. How's your heart? To kind of maybe help you figure out how your heart's doing in, the, in your bulletin, there's a little insert um, called a heart check that we put together for you just to kind of ask the Lord honestly, probably not right now in this moment, but certainly today, maybe take your Bible and sit this next to your Bible and then walk through this list. On the left, it's what's called a list of, the, of a proud person, of a Pharisee kind of heart. And then on the right is a list of a, of a broken person, someone who has a heart that's leaning into Jesus. You know, a proud person focuses on the failures of others while a broken person is overwhelmed with their own sense of spiritual need. You see the difference? A proud person has a critical fault-finding spirit. It's always about seeing what's wrong in other people. Whereas a broken person forgives much because they know how much they've been forgiven. A proud person is self-righteous, looks down at other people. A broken person esteems all others above themselves. It's just a heart check to say, God, where am I in this? And how can I become more like Jesus? How can I become more like Jesus? That's really the whole goal, isn't it? Once again, I'll close by saying this. Journey, friends watching online, world who loves Jesus, God wants to use you, but he's not gonna use you if you think it's about you. So let's lean into Jesus with all that we are and all that we have, amen? Amen. Will you join me in prayer as we consider these truths that we've looked at today? Father, I thank you for your grace more than anything. I am a sinner in need of a savior. We are sinners in need of a savior. And we thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Lord, I wanna pray in this moment right now for any here today or any watching online who've never admitted that to you. Maybe the hypocrisy of other Christians, maybe their own misconceptions about what it even means to be a follower of Jesus. Or maybe their own sin has just kept them from admitting their need for you. But in the silence of this place, in the quietness of this moment, you are speaking to hearts. And if you're one of those here today who needs to give your heart to Jesus, just, you don't have to say it out loud, but just as an act of faith, an act of trust, repeat these words after me to your heavenly father. Father, I need you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. I open my heart to you and receive your grace, receive your forgiveness, receive your love. God, take control of the throne of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. If you prayed with me just now, with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, if you prayed with me just now, I just wanna let you know that um, we wanna help you take your first and next steps with Jesus. And we'll tell you how we can help you do that in just a minute. But let me speak just as with every head still bowed and every eye still closed. Let me speak to those who are followers of Jesus here, but you... As the word has been shared today, you have have come to the conclusion that you have left your first love. 
that you and Jesus, though once you were so close, um, you're not anymore. And it's not because Jesus went anywhere. It's because you did. I want you to know that God's, God's arms are not too short to welcome you home. Like the father in the prodigal son story, he welcomes you back. I love how it says in that story, when he came to his senses, you are coming to your senses even in this moment, saying, Jesus, I want to come home. I want to be a part of your plan to change the world. God, I thank you. I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. Lord, we help us, Lord, as we seek to be a church that honors you with our whole hearts to do that, to be a place that's known not for being pharisaical, but for being Jesus-centered. We love you so much. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.